0: Good morning, everyone. You know, this place has such a great sound system. You should stand in front of that speaker while that's going on. I feel like my whole heart rate just went up. Anyway, it's good to be back. I always look forward to seeing you guys. It's so much fun. It really is. So I work, if you don't know me, I work at uh, Calvin Seminary. Um, that's where I am. I am uh, I, I, I'm a professor of New Testament, but I'm also the dean there of the faculty I was talking to my eight-year-old grandson just last week, and he said, um, he calls me Baba, as in Abba. Oh, well. Anyway, so he says, Baba, so what do you do? And He said, your office has got too many Bibles. <laughs> and I said, well, I said I, I said, I just am the dean over there, and I teach. And he says, the dean, what's that? And I, he says, is that like being the principal? And I said, yeah, yeah, that's like being the principal. And he said, so when kids get in trouble, they have to come see you? I said, no, at Calvin, they don't really get in trouble. But if I was the dean at Cornerstone, (laughs) that was good, huh? Didn't see that coming. Um. So anyway, uh, one of the things I just want to put a plug in for what this great panel and they were great up there. They really are. You know, the thing is, I have just had conversations throughout my career with students. And, you know, when we when you're a student, you get into this idea that somehow you can be a not just a visitor in a church, but you're kind of like a regular visitor and you can be in a church like that for a whole year and you convince yourself, oh, yeah, I go to TLC, but you've never really taken that next step because you always can come and go if you really want to. And you can go through four years of college and be a visitor. It's really sad. When you take that one extra step, suddenly, as I love the vocab here, you become an owner. And that is when you begin to make friendships, you begin to see that your life has purpose when you come here. So for heaven's sakes, after church, go out there. I, I was out there between the services, looking it around all of the opportunities. There's so much cool stuff out there for you to join in with. So. How's that? That is my advertisement for the morning. That and for Cornerstone. All right. (laughs) If I were to ask you guys, what do you think is the defining story that really does tell us the heart of our Christian faith? Oh, well, no doubt you're going to say to me, oh, it's got to be Jesus' last journey to Jerusalem, his arrest in Jerusalem, his trial, his crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection, isn't that really a central story for us? Yeah, yeah absolutely. it's the thing. It's the central story for us. If I were to walk into a Jewish synagogue and I were to ask them the very same question, what is the defining story from which you actually get so many of your lessons for life? I'll tell you, they would say the same thing anywhere in the world. They'd say, oh, that's simple. That is the Exodus story. That's the story of Moses and Joshua. That is the movement of our people from Egypt to Canaan, the promised land. And everything that goes on in between, that 40 year journey, that's the story we look to. And every Jewish child will know the details of that story intimately. So we are in a series here on Joshua, which is actually the tail end of that story, but because I know everyone doesn't always know all of the details of the story, especially Cornerstone, then um, I thought I'd go back and put a map up. I really love to mess with Cornerstone. How many of you are from Cornerstone? Raise your hands. Evangelistic opportunities right there. So, Oh, uh, yeah. All right, I'll leave you alone. Next time it's going to be uh, Grand, Rap- uh, Grand Valley. Okay, so here's the map. Okay, so they leave Egypt. They leave Egypt about 400 years of, uh, of captivity in Egypt they go east across uh, a big body of water. Uh, Sometimes people call it the Red Sea, but it's north of the Red Sea, this huge body of water. Um, Miraculously, the water opens. Then they turn south, as you can see on the map, and they head to what we think is the traditional location of Mount Sinai. I've circled it there for you. So this is a large mountain where uh, Moses, of course, meets God. The Ten Commandments come out of this mountain. They stay for two years there at the mountain, and this is where they learn to build the tabernacle, the Tent of worship. And then from there, the plan was that they were to go north to a place called Kadesh Barnea. And at Kadesh Barnea, they were to go into the Holy Land. But there's another story we can't go into right now about their disobedience and violations of the covenant and all of that kind of thing. You know, throughout their journey going to the Holy Land, they kept saying, I want to go back to Egypt. They've got better barbecue there. So, anyway, they, from Kadesh, they return south into the desert. And it's a 38 year wander. So two years at the mountain, 38 years in the desert. They come down, and then they finally, after all those years, they cross over, and you'll see the locations of Edom up there. So they go through Edom. They go through Moab. Do you see it up there on the map? And above it is Ammon. But they've got Edom and Moab. And then at Moab, their target is Mount Nebo, And then from Mount Nebo, they're going to go west and go toward Cana. Here's the next map that zooms in on that, okay? I made these maps for you. By the way, they didn't walk in a straight line, just so you know. (laughs) They were like all over the place. But I mean, you know, it was a quick map today. So anyway, so they head to Mount Nebo, which is an important location. Most people don't ever talk about Mount Nebo. I I think I'm going to read to you a very, very a wonderful, rarely looked at passage about Mount Nebo. But Moses leads them to Nebo. And then what happens from there is Joshua takes over the leadership and they go from there. uh, And their first target really is Jericho as they go into the Holy Land. All right, so here's a close up, an even further close up uh, map that shows the details. So here we are, you can see at Mount Nebo, and from Mount Nebo, after when Joshua takes leadership, they go to an important location called um, Shatim. You can see Shatim up there, and then from Shatim, they cross the river and they camp at Gilgal. All right, so these are the the things that every Jewish child would know extremely well. And Gilgal is actually their base from which they will uh, move to Jericho uh, when that conflict begins. All right, so the story that we want to look at is this movement between Mount Nebo and over to Gilgal. That's the story that we want, okay? Now, let me just talk about um, this uh, Mount Nebo for a minute. In Deuteronomy chapter 34, Something nobody reads, this is where the handover takes place. Moses went up from the plains of Moab, you know where that is, it's over to the east, to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all of the land, Gilead as far as Dan. That's the whole sweep of the Holy Land. And the Lord said to him, "'This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob.' I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. That's a whole other story. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab. He never went to the Holy Land. According to the word of the Lord. And he it was buried in the valley in the land of Moab opposite Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. So you can't find the tomb of Moses anywhere inside of, say, the country of Jordan today. Um, but that is where the handoff takes place. Now, I decided to sort of bring to you a couple of photographs. You have such a great screen system in here. I thought, oh, yeah, we got to have pictures. You know, it's, it's like having an illustrated Bible. Um, you just need pictures in your Bible. Anyway, so there's Mount Nebo, and uh, this is, has a monastery on the top. Now, you can go and visit that. It's in the modern country of Jordan. And then when you're up on Mount Nebo, here's the next picture. This is what it looks like if you look over the Holy Land uh, from Dan to Gilead. So it's the huge expanse. So Moses is up on top of that mountain, and he is looking out, and he is not permitted to go in. All right, now this brings us to what is going to transpire. It's a number of verses, but, you know, we just ought to go ahead and read them because they're so important. Joshua chapter 3 and Joshua chapter 4 give us the details of what happens now from Nebo uh, over to Gilead, and some things there are really important. All right, Joshua 3 verse 1. Early in the morning, Joshua rose and he set out from Shittim with all of the people of Israel, and they came to the Jordan. All right, so you know where Shittim is. It is just down from Mount Nebo, and they went up to the Jordan River. They lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from the place um, and follow it. All right so the first thing we learn is that the signal for moving out is going to be the ark of the covenant that is the big box that was that was carried by the Israelites all the way from Mount Sinai It was plated with gold. It had cherubim angels on top. It had gold rings on the side with a pole that went through. And the priests would just lift that thing up and then carry it all the way through the wilderness for all those years. So it contained the relics, the symbols, the things like Aaron's staff is in there. Some manna is in there. So that they would remember the great things that they had done with God. So anyway, the first signal is the ark goes first. Now, I think that's really just remarkable because, let's be honest, Joshua's got an army. He's got generals and colonels and all that kind of thing. What do you think they're saying right now? Are you kidding me? We are going to begin our first siege of Jericho and the Calvin Seminary professors go first? (laughs) That's ridiculous. Are you kidding me? We're equipped. We should be going first. No, but what happens is, Joshua says, the Lord says to Joshua, no, the ark goes first because this battle belongs to belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to you guys. Okay, first lesson. Verse 5, Joshua said to the people, now sanctify yourselves, make yourself holy, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, take up the ark of the covenant and pass on before the people. And they took up the ark of the covenant and went before the people. Here's the second thing we figure out. So therefore, in this story, if you want to see God doing amazing things, when the Ark of the Covenant moves out, when God is moving into new territory to do something absolutely phenomenal, you have to really do an inventory of your own life. You have to sanctify yourself. You have to to be honest. Where are you at with him, with your sin, with your obedience? The whole list. You have to ask yourself, are you attuned to God's holiness? So, therefore, those who are attuned to God's holiness, they follow the ark. They have sanctified themselves, and that is why they're going to see great things. Verse 7. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. So this is really a question, of course, for 40 years, they've been following Moses and they know that Moses is a great leader. They watched Moses raise his hands and the, the, the sea opened up in Egypt and they went right through it. This is a confirmation that Moses was a great man that took followed. follow. So when we, they suddenly learn that Joshua is going to take over, you can bet there were doubts inside of Israel whether or not Joshua was a qualified leader. So therefore, what the Lord is saying here is, okay, so I'm going to confirm your leadership in this. Verse 8, you shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. So the Ark of the Covenant is being carried by the priests. The sanctified people are behind them. They walk up to the edge of the Jordan River, and they're supposed to stop with their feet in the water. Okay, I get it. That's what happens. There are rules for how this is going to unfold. Verse 12. Now, therefore, also take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man, and when the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of the whole earth, when they rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan will be stopped from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. Whoa. Okay. So the ark goes first. They get up to the edge of the Jordan. Twelve men, one from each tribe, are alongside of all this. The whole crowd of Israel is behind them, and then the waters open. Now, you should immediately say to yourself, oh my gosh, that's Moses' great miracle. Are you kidding? That was Moses coming out of Egypt. This is Joshua coming into the Holy Land. The other story is the exit out of Egypt. This is the story of the entry. This is Moses. This is Joshua. So therefore, there is a symmetry here, and it confirms that God is with Joshua. Verse 14. And when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests, bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and when those who bore the Ark had come to the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, the waters stopped. Wow. All right so we get the big picture. So where are, this, this, this material right here has so much richness in it that they could, they could become sermons of their own. Let me just give you an idea of this. For instance, what you have is a story that says, God wants to bring you into new and marvelous territory. You want to be in new and marvelous territory in your life. Amen? Yeah, that's just how we live. So Lord, when is it you're going to bring us into our promised land? You can imagine the people of Israel are just chuffing at the bit to get into the promised land. But what Joshua has to teach them is that you only find the promised land when you follow God's leadership. In other words, he leads the way. My life is full of impulsivity. So in other words, I want something, I move ahead far too fast. I never wait to perceive, to discern whether or not God is going before me, preparing the way. If God goes before you and prepares the way, little wrong can befall you. The other lesson that comes out of this is that we have to prepare our hearts. If you want to join the excellent work of God, then you have to address the state of your own life. I often think to myself, Lord, you are so gracious and merciful. You know, I am so sinful. I didn't know you look the other way. That is so good. Thank you, Jesus. And you're going to take me into the promised land, and I'm going to just go in there and enjoy myself with all that baggage I carry around. You know what I'm saying here? If you want to see the amazing things of God open up inside of your life, somehow we have got to ask ourselves, are we willing to coordinate the quality of our lives with the holiness of Yahweh? When we do, that's when we see amazing things happen. But it requires that kind of preparation and discernment. I rarely orchestrate my life that way, and I bet one or two of you are the same. So if we do orchestrate that that way, then suddenly we see things we never thought we would ever see, and they never thought they would see this kind of stuff. All right. I thought it would be good to show you a picture of the Jordan River. So here we go. Beautiful. This is an awe ah moment. So that's a beautiful piece. If you've been to Israel, you would know already this is in the springtime. This is at the, uh, the flood stage almost of the Jordan River. But this is exactly when Joshua was coming across in springtime at Passover. So look at that thing, man. That is swift. There's plenty of water in that thing. You are not going to walk through that thing. It is a real threat. It is. So, therefore, this is an amazing miracle that that water opens up, and there we have it. All right. Now, how is it that Joshua um, orchestrates the movement through the water? Here in chapter 4, we have the key verses. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, okay, the Lord said to Joshua, Now, take 12 men from the people, one from each tribe, and tell them, Take 12 stones from here in the middle of the Jordan River from the very place where the priest's feet stood and carry them over with you and lay them down in the place where you are going to lodge tonight. Now that place, I've already told you, is called Gilgal. That's the camp they're going to make before they go to Jericho. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe, and Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone on his shoulder. We're not talking about little rocks here. We're talking about substantial rocks, large stones that they're going to carry on their shoulders and do this according to the number of the tribes. So there'll be 12 of this, but it says in verse 6, so this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come. What do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passes over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Verse 8. And the men of Israel did as Joshua commanded. They took up those 12 stones out of the middle of the Jordan River, according to the number of the tribes, 12, as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over to the place where they lodged, Gilgal, and laid them down there. And then, get this, most people don't notice this, Joshua set up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan River in a place where the feet of the priests were, hmm, where the ark had stood until everything was finished that the Lord commanded of Joshua. So, okay, so I get it. So the, the ark stops in the middle of the river, the river opens All of Israel goes through. Then the 12 men come back into the middle of the river. They pick up large boulders from the center of the Jordan River. They go over to Gilgal, and they create a mound of stones. That's actually got a name. It's called a cairn, C-A-I-R-N. They create a cairn of stones there. And then Joshua goes back to the middle of the river where the priests are, and he builds another cairn in the middle of the river. They all come out. The river closes, leaving a cairn under the Jordan. And then there's a cairn in Gilgal. So, Joshua says, these are there for a memorial. Now, I have given you an example of cairns. Here is an example here. Um, These kinds of stone piles, here's one more, um, are are everywhere inside of the Middle East. They actually mean something. They're not just decorations. They are landmarkers. So if you have boundaries for your land, or nomads actually have boundaries for they have water sources, they'll put up cairns like this. And this is caught on in other places around the world as well. But anyway, but in the Middle East, very, very big deal. So Joshua has commanded that every tribe has contributed one large boulder to this pile, this cairn, this memorial. And the reason you do it is to remember exactly what happened. Now, when they got to Gilgal, when they finally get to Gilgal, they begin to build what we could call as a siege camp. When the war with Jericho was going to come, Joshua understood they needed to remember when times were difficult that God had been faithful back at the river. That's what they needed. They needed that memory. In other words, in the midst of the war, in the midst of the crisis, Joshua couldn't say to his soldiers, hey, you guys, let's go back to the Jordan and tell the story again. No, he wants to build a memorial. So that whenever people go by the Jordan River, they'll say that is a place of God's faithfulness. I take uh, many, many students to Israel. I've, I've told you guys this before. And I, when, I'm, when I'm driving south out of uh, Galilee and I go right by Jericho right there, I t- it's a moment I tell students, I say, all you guys, stop whatever you're doing and look out the left-hand window of the bus. And I tell my driver, slow down. I say, right out there is Gilgal. Right out there was a memorial pile of stones. That is where Joshua crossed. And whenever you drive past this place, you should slow down and say, that is a place of God's faithfulness. It's a cool thing to go through your life and say, I'm going to slow down the bus because I want to remember what happened there. So Gilgal is marked. The Jordan River is marked. It has got a cairn under it as well. But notice what it says in verse 6. It says, The reason you're building these memorials is not simply for you, though it is for you. It is for your children. And it's for your children's children. So that the record, the memory of God's faithfulness, will be passed down from child to parent to child and so forth. All the way down through the line. So this story will never be forgotten. This is your children's inheritance to talk about how God has been faithful inside of your family, telling stories of faithfulness. Those are the things that anchor our children's faith, and they anchor us as we grow up. So there they are at Gilgal. I am sure that the generals and colonels are going crazy at this time. They see themselves now between the river, which is closed. They're at the siege camp of Gilgal, and Jericho is right over here, And so therefore, I'm sure the generals know they're in jeopardy. Why? Because what's at their back? This huge river Jordan, it's at their back. And so therefore, if they get in trouble in this fight, they've got nowhere to go, nowhere to go. You can't get back to Shittim, you can't get back to Nebo, you are now trapped. So therefore, you can imagine the military thinkers are thinking, well, we have really got, we're we're in trouble should have maybe never listened to Joshua. This is craziness. But Joshua says clearly, this is not your fight. God is going before you. And unless you feel the drama of that risk, you won't enjoy the drama of God's victory. So, all right, now let's pause and slow down the bus right about here. And let's ask ourselves, what is happening here? This business of going from Shittim to Gilgal. What is going on with these cairns, these memorial stones? What is their actual function? They are memorials for a reason. We need memorials, very simple, because you and I forget. Memory is one of the most important spiritual tools we have in our tool case. Memory, remembering where God was faithful, is what will anchor us. You know, in church, when we do the Lord's Supper together, what we're actually doing is creating a memorial. When we have that bread and that wine or grape juice, um, what we're doing is reciting together a memory of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. And we want to keep that alive for us. That's one of the reasons we do this kind of thing. So we need records of our own lives. We need records of our own experiences because we forget this stuff. What happens is God does remarkably cool things inside of your life. And then about three weeks later, you just kind of move on with your life. You know what I'm saying here? And in two years, you forget everything back there. And then you get into some huge crisis and you're looking at Jericho again. And then suddenly you're saying, Lord, why are you never with me? And you're like, God's probably seen to send you a messenger that says, dude, I was with you so much, but you just don't remember anything. We need to punctuate our lives with memorials because the memorials will anchor our present to our past. Second thing is, when do we need to start making these memorials? The rule is really simple. We need to build memorials before the fight at Jericho. We need to build them now. Because when you're in the midst of a crisis, when your life just seems like it's really a mess and the army of Jericho is coming at you, you really don't have time to reflect and think, huh, I wonder if God has ever been faithful. Let's have a Bible study on that. Are you kidding me? You're experiencing desperation. No, it's a time of tranquility and pause that you actually need to build these memorials. You don't remember in a crisis, you don't. So that is what Joshua has done. He has done the work of memory making before the conflict ever begins. That's when it has to happen. Let me give you an example of this. Um, uh, And this is uh, uh, from my own life. I'll have to tell you the truth. I don't really like to sort of parade private stuff. Do you know what I'm saying here? You try it. You want to come up and tell us all about your inner side? uh, Yeah, so anyway, I'm not going to do too much diagnostics here, but let me just give it to you this way. So a 100 years ago, I went and joined a PhD program. Um, I uh, went to the United Kingdom, and we lived in Britain for three years. So there I was in a PhD program, and it was really hard. I mean, I had to produce this book of about 400 pages that had to be passed by Uh, two or three European scholars who said, this is, yeah, cutting edge, new stuff, whatever. So anyway, um, it was really encouraging to me when I found out that 50% of everybody in Europe who start the PhD don't finish. I thought, oh, that's that's exciting news. So anyway, round about the second year of me doing this thing, it was like I just hit this wall. It was, it was horrible. I just felt like I was making no progress, and I just was like, So um, I remember having a conversation with my wife, and I said, like, hey, you know, I have an idea. What if we just went back to California, the weather's better, and, you know, God could bless us there just as much as here, and she said, oh, you mean quit. (laughs) I said, well, I wouldn't be quitting exactly, (laughs) but I really was, I was, I kind of hit the wall, and I just thought, I'm not going to, I don't know if I can do this. I really don't. So anyway, um, and then my wife did the most annoying thing. She said, what we need to do is make a record of God's faithfulness since we were married up until now. I remember her taking a a spiral notebook thing and pulling out this piece of paper, and pencil came out, and she said, let's write down all of the ways and times that God has actually led us to this moment. I said, really? Really? So we did, we did, we wrote things down, like the scholarship I got from my sending church to pay for my tuition and and even getting picked for the program and being picked to study under this famous guy and blah, 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 all this list. We had a list of about 12 things, 12 stones, that was good. Anyway, and then she did, she took it and put it on the inside of our closet with Scotch tape. And she said, now, every time you open the closet, I want you to read that list. So annoying. So I did. What she was doing was actually building a cairn. She was building a memorial. She was building a record, but she had to fix it on paper because I'm so stupid, I need it to be in front of my face. And when I read that list, I said to myself, huh, well, if God has called me here, has gone before us here, maybe it's going to work out okay. And it did. It's a miracle. So how do you build these memorials? How do you how do you put these markers inside of your life in your home? I have got friends who've tried this in a variety of ways. I've got one friend, for instance, who has a really special notebook. It's called the Moleskin. Have you guys know what those are? They're black covers. They're really special. Only thing that goes in that for her is answered prayer, and God's showing His power and victory in her life. And when she's coming into a hard place, she reaches for that thing and she rereads it. It's a great tool. Memory is a spiritual tool for each of us. Now, one of the things that my students always notice when they walk into my office is, I got a picture for you, here, here's a picture. They'll look at that and they'll go, well, I see the books, what's that? And I say, oh, it's about Basket of Rocks. (laughs) What, here's a close up. Anyway, um, here's one more. Yeah, so there it is right there. So anyway, I started a long time ago with um, this uh, habit really, Um, I do not like rocks. When I tell people about this or students, they go, oh, you're into collecting rocks. I do not collect rocks. I don't care what these rocks are made out of, um, but they all come from places that are important. And I brought some with me today um, because I think there are different ways that I want to remember God's faithfulness. So therefore, um, these stones actually represent chapters, pieces of my life but the first thing that I want to do is I want to remember what God, how God showed his faithfulness in biblical history. I do. I want to remember. This is a cool stone. This is from the Elah Valley inside of uh, Israel. This is where uh, David killed Goliath, and it's from the riverbed where David stood. They told me this is the stone. <laughs> Just saying, God uses little, thi- little people to do amazing things. So therefore, um, I I want this stone to remind myself of the Elah Valley, to remind myself of of Goliath because life is full of Goliaths. There's a little bit of his eyelash stuck right in here. Just saying, see if you can find it. Um, But I have other things in here. My favorite gospel is the gospel of John. And uh, one year I had the privilege of traveling to Turkey, to Ephesus, and I actually made it to John's tomb. And I actually sat and ha- right next to his tomb for a long time. And I found this piece of pottery just in the dirt right next to his tomb. And I said, I want to remember this wonderful life of John the Apostle. Um, oh, here's one that's interesting. This is from Chorazin. You wouldn't, may not know this place, but this is a village just next to uh, Capernaum in Galilee. Um, this is the, in the Gospels, this is the only village that was so hard-hearted that Jesus said, wow, you guys are really in trouble here. No more miracles in Chorazin. He, he condemns Corazim for its hard-heartedness. Unbelievable. So I was in Corazine walking around one day, and I thought to myself, I ain't going to be Chorazin. <laughs> that's, that's, that's why it's a really ugly-looking rock. So anyway, so there we have it. This is from the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. Um, this rock was laying on the bottom when Jesus was walking across. Just saying. Anyway, I just was swimming in the Sea of Galilee and I decided to bring this with me because what I wanted to do is there's so many stories connected to the Sea of Galilee, but especially there's one story. That's that story where they're on the boat and there's the storm and Jesus rescues them. And I thought, I I want a stone that tells me about his faithfulness all the way through. Um, There's a lot more here. I won't get distracted, but I will tell you one thing. Oh yeah, here, this is a cool one. This is... This is actually a piece of the Jerusalem temple. (laughs) Now, I did not go up to the Jerusalem temple, 2,000 years old, built by Herod, seen by Jesus, with a hammer and attack it. Let me straighten this out. I would have been put in jail. Um, But I knew that 2,000 years ago, when they finished buildings like this, chiselers would come in, and they would actually smooth out the side of the building, the the stonework, right? That's what they would do, like that. And all those chisel pieces would fall down at the bottom. So I was there one year when they were actually digging a trench along the temple for a water line or something, you know? And I thought, oh, my gosh, they're digging all the way down to the bottom of the temple. How cool is that? And I looked down there, and doggone it, So I came back that night. And you know those yellow tapes that say, please jump here. (laughs) So I said, oh, yeah, I can't read Hebrew anyway. So (laughs) over I went, got down to the bottom of the trench, and it was full of these. They're all from the temple. And I thought to myself, wow, in the Old Testament, what a place of God's revelation and work, a place that led to Jesus' death. So anyway, um, I have a number of these from a lot of places that just, say a lot to me. This is where Jesus from the wilderness of Judea, where he was tested, he was tempted. I hiked it one time as he did, and I picked that up midway. But it's not just in biblical history where I know something about God's faithfulness. I also know about God's faithfulness in my own personal life. So therefore, I have again and again picked up stones from different chapters in my life. This is from the beach in Scotland where I got my Ph.D. It was the week I got my Ph.D. And it was like, wow, there's a miracle for you. (laughs) God was faithful there. Um, I was picked as an exchange student to go to Beirut, Lebanon, uh, to the American University of Beirut a long, long time ago. Anyway, um, and I did go back some 20 years later, and I got this from Beirut. And it's a place, the city of Beirut really had changed my life. Uh, That and a civil war that started while I was there. Um, One of the things that I have in here is I have rocks from the house where I grew up. I have rocks here from the church that really firmed up my faith and made me who I am today. But here's a rock that, here are two rocks that are especially, that's from my home. Um, Here are a couple of rocks that are important to me. My grandparents, um, during a very difficult time in my own life, my, uh, my, I only figured this out later. My grandparents really saw that I wasn't doing well. And so therefore, they kind of took me in. I grew up in Riverside, California. They lived at Laguna Beach. Maybe you've heard of it. So I spent tons of time at their house. I learned how to swim in the Pacific at Laguna. Um, I just spent tons of time, and they really became really important people to me. This is from Laguna Beach. My grandparents um, also loved Yosemite, Yosemite National Park, every summer. They took me every summer from the time I was little, and I just camped with them. Today I can, I rode my bicycle as a kid through every one of the lanes in that place. I can name all the waterfalls, I can just, that's Yosemite. This is from the bottom of the Merced River in Yosemite. But it was a real important place of healing and significance for me, and so I keep it. All of these are ways in which I am saying I'm making a memorial. It's a way that I'm saying, God is faithful in ways that I cannot even count. And every now and then what I do, I take the big basket out and I turn it over and I go through and I read all of the places. And it's again like that list on the closet door. My wife has something that I think is really, really um, amazing. Um, She has this thing, which, so my wife, she wouldn't mind me telling you this, she came from a, a difficult family situation. Really difficult. And at about 17 or so, um, her grandmother, who lived in Pasadena, California, where she was, um, took her in. And she lived with her grandmother her senior year of high school, and her grandmother was huge. This was on her grandmother's dresser. So it's probably from 1910 or 1920 or something. Jesus never fails. Now, you would look at that and you'd think, huh, okay. It's what's on the backside that's important. Look at the next slide. Grandma Bell, 1971, Living Upstairs. Those are the words written by a very young woman who has created a memorial to always remember a moment in her life where God, through her grandmother, stepped in and brought about redemption. And she has kept it to this day. So the question I guess I have for each of you as we read this Joshua story is very, very simple, friends. Are you keeping a record of the ways that God has been faithful to you? Are you rehearsing God's faithfulness in your mind? Or are you just forgetting and moving on? This day, start something, a memorial of some kind. Think about it, work on it, buy that moleskin. I don't care what you do. Go get one of those like elementary school boxes that you kept all your treasures in. Empty that dude and then start putting in it small tokens that say, that's what that's from and carry it with you through your life because I'll guarantee you, you're gonna face a Jericho someday. And what will sustain you is your memory of God's faithfulness. Memory is a spiritual tool. It will sustain you and protect you. Let's pray, shall we? Lord God, we do ask that you would help us to remember. To remember your faithfulness. Because you never fail. You never fail. Father, spark our imaginations so that we might begin today building our own cairn for you. We pray in Christ's name and everyone said amen.